Welcome to a Why Is This News edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your SB Nation site covering all things Ohio State Athletics 24-7-365. My name is Matt Tamanini. I'm the deputy editor of the site, and I am joined today by one of our fearless leaders, the lovely Buckeye herself, our co-managing editor, Alexis Chase. And Alexis, thank you so much for tearing yourself away from Philadelphia Eagles preseason football to record this podcast. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. This is probably more fun than preseason anyway. <laughs> Did you at least pause it like so you can go back and not actually miss anything? Oh, yeah. It's halftime, so it's perfect oh, timing. Okay, perfect timing. I'm glad I could accommodate your preseason football watching addiction, Alexis. It just worked out that way. Right. Yeah, not planned at all. So um, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff. We actually have legitimate football on-field news to talk about today. We're also going to get into a little of that basketball trip that's been going on and then talk about some some of one of the most ridiculous traditions surrounding Ohio State football, one that I still am not quite sure I understand. But first, we're going to get to the ugly stuff, the stuff we're so tired of having to deal with and wish that we could just focus on football, and that is the Urban Meyer investigation. Um, at this point, we're not going to get too deep into it because a lot of the stuff that has transpired happened a week ago. We recorded the last edition of this podcast on Thursday night. So a bunch of news, of course, decided to happen on Friday afternoon. So it's been a week and you probably pretty much know about it at this point. Last Friday, Urban Meyer made a statement and pretty much contradicted everything that he'd said at Big Ten Media Days. He was well aware of the allegations against Zach Smith in 2015, but he said that he did report it up the chain of command and followed proper protocol with the university that has not yet been corroborated by the university, but that is in part because Gene Smith has said he would not be making any statements while the investigation was ongoing at pretty much the exact same time as urban statement came out. Zach Smith was doing a handful of interviews first on the radio in Columbus and then with ESPN in which he pretty much backed up everything that urban said. Uh, the only real thing of substance that we learned from Zach Smith is that he admitted that there was a lot of toxicity in his relationship, in his marriage. And then after the divorce with Courtney, he admits that there was a lot of negative things going on, but he claims that he never hit her and that any physical altercations were simply him defending himself. That of course, again, we're never probably going to know whether that's true or not. We're never going to know the ins and outs of what actually happened between those two people because there was no one else there to ever corroborate it. It's gotten ugly. Um, it continues to get uglier every day. And I'm fine with investigations and all that stuff. It just feels, Alexis, like every day it gets grittier and muddier and nastier. And it, it, it's really hard to continually to get yourself excited for football when you know you always have the specter of this awfulness hanging over it. And that sucks because this really should be one of the most exciting times of the year. And I think the Ohio State football team could be really good this year. And it really bums me out. One, that we ever have to talk about domestic violence associated with sports. Then we have to get into the nitty gritty of the he said, she said and accusations and conspiracy theories and, you know, whatever. And then it just brings down what we love about sports, which is getting to escape and enjoy something that ultimately doesn't actually mean anything. Oh, it's just so icky. Like, it's just I don't like the entire situation. And at this point, it's becoming so much he said, she said, you know, you don't really know what's going on. And it changes by the minute, like you said. And 
this is one of the most talented Ohio State football teams we've had in years. And mm-hmm. I really feel bad for the players who are just trying to stay focused and, you know, get through camp. And, you know, all those receivers stayed because this was it. This was going to be the year we got back to the playoffs and we won and it was going to be great. And all those things could still happen. We just don't know. Yeah, and it's hard to, like, you know, get your hopes up. It's like you just want to wait until the investigation's over, see how the chips fall, and then, you know, take it from there. But there's just so much to, to be excited for. It's hard to keep that tempered a little. Yeah, and I think part of it, you know, with us at Landgrant is is we're, we're a fan blog. We're not, you know, we aren't beat reporters. We're not necessarily on the ground covering this every day. So for us, we just really want to be excited about Ohio State sports, and this makes it difficult. And especially in a situation like this where it seems like every single person involved, and I literally mean every single person involved, from Zach and Courtney to Urban Meyer and Gene Smith to the Powell police to the parents of Zach and Courtney to Brett McMurphy, it seems like they have made poor decisions at every step along the way. So that's just made it even more difficult. Like nobody's done things the right way. And that really no. sucks because it's it's hard to really understand what's going on when it seems like everybody is doing the exact wrong thing at every opportunity. Everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different reason for telling their story. And a lot of it, like you said, we'll never know the the real why or the real what. And, you know, so it's just going to, the Urban Meyer thing's going to fizzle into whatever it is uh, one way or the other. But, you know, the Smith saga is definitely not over by any means. Uh, Maybe. I don't know if police didn't do anything the first 66 times that Courtney called. I don't know what (laughs) is over and what isn't. But we do know, though, that the investigation will be over fairly soon. Last, uh, or I guess it was earlier this week, Ohio State did say that the investigation would be up in 14 days. We're about four or five days into that now. So we're looking at a timetable somewhere around August 19th or 20th. If that does hold and a decision is made on whether Urban Meyer will be able to coach the team, whether he'll be fired, whether he'll be suspended, whether he'll be allowed right back to head coaching responsibilities, that will put the Buckeyes at two full weeks of practice before they open the season against the Oregon State Beavers. So if Urban does come back, he's got plenty of time to get himself back up to speed. If he doesn't, that'll give everybody two weeks to get ready for life without him, whether that's temporarily or forever if he gets fired. We also know, thanks to Bill Landis from Cleveland.com's reporting, that because of this suspension, and I think this was kind of just assumed, but as you pointed out before we started recording, Alexis, that we didn't really hear it officially until then. Um, Urban is not allowed to have any contact with any players, coaches, or other university personnel while he's on paid administrative leave. So he's not able to coordinate. He's not able to let people know what they should be practicing or anything. So he is officially out of the loop until further notice. Although I would like to point out like how far out of the loop you have to assume that, you know, training camp was pretty established by the time all of this went down. So for, you know, if urban comes back, I think it's going to be business as usual day one. I think it's going to be really tricky if he doesn't to see how, do they continue on with whatever that game plan was for the entire year or do they transition into something different? But I guess we'll just have to, you know, take it a day at a time. 
Yeah. And what will be really interesting in, in a situation that I think is probably becoming even more realistic is if Urban gets some sort of suspension for th- two, mm-hmm. three, four games or whatever. How does that impact the switching over? I, well, I personally am of the opinion that it probably won't change a whole lot because Urban's more of the CEO and he's letting everybody else you know, kind of run their position groups. And I think that's probably what we're going to get with Ryan Day. I don't think he's going to be doing a ton of the CEO stuff. I think that's probably going to be done by committee and he's just the figurehead at this point. But we'll have to wait and see. We've got about 10 days, uh, 9, 10 days before we get some sort of resolution from the uh, independent working group set up by Ohio State. But we will see. Now, you mentioned the fact that everything is kind of pre-scripted, Alexis, and that was very much what we saw when uh, media members finally got to see something from Ohio State's fall practices on Tuesday, thanks to BTN's bus tour. Shout out to BTN. We appreciate that. Um, And one of the things that we saw was that all of the position groups were kind of doing their own thing. Ryan Day stuck with his group, so nothing really totally different. But there was something I know that really kind of concerned you about what we saw on the offensive line. Yeah, they reported that Michael Jordan was taking um, snaps at center and, you know, practicing his snaps, which if they're doing that to cross train him, you know, in case Brady Taylor, who was the expected center for the year, goes down, then that makes total sense. But if they're practicing the snaps because they're still not sure who's going to take that role, um, I think it's a little late in the game, especially for, you know, a new quarterback and a new center. You know, last year when Billy Price took the reins from Pat Elfline, he had, you know, he started day one after the season ended to learn his new position and it worked out super well. He won the Remington Award. And he had a quarterback who had been starting for like, I think, 17 years at Ohio State by that point. <laughs> right. He was like 35. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just worried if If that's not the case, I don't know. I just hope Brady Taylor is the guy. He and Haskins have a really good rapport at this point. I mean, you know, we've only seen bits and pieces out of camp, so it's kind of hard to really know what positions are solidified in that that regard. Yeah, one of the things that I think could be interesting on that offensive line is because you have a new quarterback in Dwayne Haskins, do you want to put the people in front of him that have the most experience, or do you want to give – Haskins the opportunity to work with someone like Brady Taylor, who he's had more opportunities with being on the second team last year. They got to play together. So maybe the thought is, let's put as many offensive linemen together to start that have starting experience. Put Michael Jordan at center. Then you have Demetrius Knox and Brandon Bowen at guard. Then you have Isaiah Prince uh, at tackle and then throw in Thayer Munford, who you know seems to be the next one to start as well. At that point, you'd have four offensive linemen who have starting experience thanks to different injuries. Three of them were at guard, but if Jordan moves over to center, you've got four guys with starting experience against the top line of the Big Ten, and maybe that gives Haskins a little bit better protection to let him get used to actually being a starter. I mean, we saw him quite a bit last season, but it was always in mop-up duty after Ohio State was up multiple touchdowns, and the game was never in question, other than, of course, when he came in for an injured JT Barrett against Michigan. So that's the one thing where it intrigues me, like, okay, maybe Taylor didn't separate himself enough to lock up that spot. And so Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day and Coach Stud are looking at this and want to say, let's just put the most experienced people out there to make sure that our inexperienced quarterback doesn't end up on his backside as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely 
a good option. I just worry. I would like a guy who has maybe two or three seasons left so that we can not do this whole new center every single year thing. I mean, it's worked um, pretty well. I mean, it, it has, but you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Like it's got to end at some point. <laughs> You're going to have too much turnover at it. I would just like a little stability, especially with Haskins coming in new and we don't know how long he'll be here, but hopefully yeah. he um, be gone have some season. consistency. Yeah. And again, like you said, we haven't seen a ton of practice, so it's tough to really say what's going on in terms of position battles. But we did see reports that tough Borland, despite an Achilles injury, is getting reps with the ones. Now, we heard at Media Day, Urban Meyer did say that he expected tough Borland to be able to contribute early in the fall. I didn't necessarily think that would mean week one, but it seems like that very well might be the case. I was thinking maybe by game three when they take on TCU down in Arlington, maybe by week five when they head to Happy Valley against Penn State, we could see tough Borland. But the more we hear about this guy, he's living up to his name, uh, and it seems like he could be mixing it up. With the starters at that linebacker, especially because that was a pretty weak group last year, and it seems like he would be a guy that would be able to take on a leadership role if he's healthy. Absolutely. I think he really established himself last year, and I think he got a lot more game time than anybody thought he would heading into the season. But he definitely earned it throughout the year, especially stepping up with some of the injuries, and he filled that role nicely. So. I would like to see, again, more consistency. We just have so many young guys because we've had so much talent that you get them for a one-year starter, and then they're in the NFL. And I just I want to be able to see the same guys two or three years um, because they're so good and they're exciting to watch. Yeah, you'll get to see him for more than one or two years if you start watching the NFL, because that's really, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, unless somebody starts as a freshman, we're not going to see that. It's just not how the recruiting is going to go right now. And um, I we're going gonna to have some more recruiting stuff in the podcast feed coming up as the season gets going. But we're going to talk about recruiting here in a little bit. But uh, the one last thing that interests me coming out of that open practice, Alexis, is the fact that Matthew Baldwin seemed to be going 100% at quarterback. He was in a black jersey like the other two quarterbacks, which is a no contact jersey, but he wasn't showing as injured. He was going 100% doing everything else that Tate Martell and Haskins were doing. The thing that makes me wonder a little bit is we realize that Baldwin and Haskins are not in the mold of JT Barrett. They're not in the mold of Braxton Miller. They are more of throw first quarterbacks. I think um, Jerry DiNardo from Big Ten Network called Haskins a throw first dual threat quarterback, able to run, but they're going to look to sit in the pocket and throw before they have to run. Tate Martell, he's smaller than me, and he would not be considered a throw first guy, I don't think, by any measure. He is a guy Ooh. whose best skills are his legs. So it makes me wonder if Matthew Baldwin is 100% healthy. We know Ryan Day likes the more prototypical quarterbacks more than the um, zone read run first guys. What are the chances, if anything happens to Haskins, that Baldwin actually is the guy to take his place? Because that would mean they wouldn't have to tinker with the game plan. They wouldn't have to tinker with the playbook because Tate Martell is not going to be able to do the things that they're going to call on Dwayne Haskins to do. So if it's just a minor injury or if the game's out of hand, I think Tate's probably the number two. If Haskins goes down for any prolonged period of time, you have to start to wonder if Matthew Baldwin, if healthy, is the guy that they'll look to next with Joe Burrow now potentially starting for LSU. 
Yeah, I think it'll be heavily dependent on whether Urban Meyer's on the sideline, if that happens, mm-hmm. or Ryan Day. Because I sort of get the impression. <laughs> Urban loves you know, him some Tate. Urban loves right? him some like, Tate Martell. Not that he, you know, made any promises because Urban Meyer's a head coach. You don't do that. You know, anything could happen. You could lose the competition. But I think he has a sort of loyalty to Tate Martell. And that's why they were trying him in. Uh, you know, different packages during the spring, you know, occasionally like in the Wildcat and all that stuff. But if Ryan Day is the one leading things, I could see him going with Matthew Baldwin, but then utilizing Martell and maybe some of those other type of packages. Whereas Meyer, I think, would just put Martell as the, you know, new number one, if that were to happen. Yeah, no, I totally think that Tate Martell is going to see playing time no matter what. And I think it might actually be with the number ones. Like, I think we could see packages specifically for him based off of, you know, down and distance. Right. Uh, My question is just if something happens to Haskins. I mean, let's be honest. JT Barrett seems like he's been starting since like the early aughts, but he always had a time when he went down pretty much in every season often against Michigan, um, he got hurt. So if that happens to Haskins, who's next? You know, next man up, I think someone will be there ready to do it. I just don't know who it's going to be. So unfortunately, I don't know that we're going to get a lot of answers uh, while this investigation is going on and while the media blackout is still surrounding everything that happens over at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. But it's something to ponder. Um, and, And as we get more information, as we get closer to the season, maybe that'll come into, you know, a little sharper context. But if you know college coaches, it probably won't. Probably not. Yeah. All right. So let's move from something that we don't know a lot about to something that seems so obvious to me, Alexis, and is that I love this Ohio State men's basketball team so much. (laughs) They are just finishing up their trip to Spain. They had their final game yesterday. They they won. It was a close one. Their first two wins were were big wins. They beat the Catalan All-Stars 68 to 66 in the final game of their 11-day trip through Spain. Caleb Wesson showing up. He led all scorers with 20 points and 10 rebounds. CJ Jackson put in 13. Uh, he also had five steals and five boards. The Wesson brothers, Caleb and Andre, accounted for 19 of Ohio State's 47 points. Andre really showed up, especially in that Purdue game last year when they asked him to like guard the seven-foot guy. I, it'll be interesting to see what he does this season as being the older brother, yet the under-achieving one of the two. So we'll see. But besides what they've done on the floor, Alexis, last week we talked about Joey Lane and his fanny pack, but it just seems like they had so much fun and they were just such a, a cool group of guys. They had a... Uh, Uh, a catamaran in the Mediterranean Sea earlier this week. This just seems like the absolute perfect thing for this team. And I know we talked about it last week, so we don't need to rehash it. But like, this makes me more excited that, you know what, this could be a special season. It's not the most talented team. It's not nearly as talented as they were last year. It's not nearly as talented as it will be next year when Chris Holtman gets uh, this next recruiting class in. But it just seems like they're good dudes, and it seems like they like being together. And I hope that this Spain trip catapults them into another one of those unexpected underdog seasons where they do more than we think they can, just on the strength and will of their camaraderie. Oh, absolutely. I think Chris Holtman has to think this trip was a success because 
that was the whole point. And he emphasized it, you know, in every interview leading up to it, that building relationships for this young team was his ultimate goal, regardless of whether they won, which, you know, it's a perk. Yay. Three, and know, but they did, they just had so much fun. I'm excited about the basketball team again, all around, but I can only imagine if they had been able to take this trip last year where they had the talent and maybe were able to really bond off the court. Um, it might've been too late for that group of guys, but it would have been really exciting to see. And I'm definitely excited to see what this year, like I can just imagine like the, the bench, it's going to be, you know, them laughing and like cutting jokes as long as they're winning, but I can just see it be, like them having a ton of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to something else that is totally fun. Um, our Land Grant Holy Land colleague, Patrick Mayhorn, uh, put together a really fun list about Ohio high school football games that people should be paying attention to throughout this fall. The one that, of course, sticks out to me as a proud Pickerington High School graduate is on October 12th when Pickerington North, which did not exist when I graduated, uh, <laughs> goes to Pickerington Central, which was just Pickerington High School when I graduated. Uh, there's that one. There's also the biggest rivalry in Cleveland, let alone maybe in all of Ohio, uh, St. Ignatius versus St. Ed's in October. Then you've got McKinley and Massillon, Washington. Um, a lot of really great stuff. St. Xavier and Coleraine and Cincinnati. Um, just a lot of really good stuff. If you're interested in high school football, We'll put a link in the uh, article over at Land Grant if you want to see this, and it's still up there if you want to find Patrick's article from uh, from Wednesday. But um, really good stuff, really interesting. Now, Alexis, you and I grew up – oh, I grew up in Reynoldsburg, eventually moved to Pickerington, graduated from Pickerington. You are a lifelong Reynoldsburg <laughs> Raider. Um, so we grew up in the same places a few years apart, uh, but – my high school has sent many, many people to Ohio State and into the NFL. Uh, Reynoldsburg, not so much. Didn't? Are you trying to say they didn't? I'm, I'm pretty much trying not. to say that Reynoldsburg sucks at football. <laughs> I would really like to fight you on that, but you're not wrong. They've gotten a lot better. Reynoldsburg used to suck at football, apparently. They're not so bad now. No, I mean, they're still pretty bad. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, know. See, I I don't see wear... Reynolds. I don't see Reynoldsburg on Patrick's list anywhere. <laughs> I know. I was like, how can you not put the Reynoldsburg Pickerington Central rivalry game? It used to be in like the old Crew Stadium, and then I would wear like a Go Team Go shirt because Reynoldsburg was so bad. I went to go sit on the Pickerington side. <laughs> <laughs> we were cooler. I mean, that's yeah. let's be honest. I mean, and the colors are similar enough. You've got purple on both, so it's easy to blend in on both sides. Exactly, but. Yeah. I didn't claim Reynoldsburg very often. You, that gave me no clout in high school, none at all. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. <laughs> uh, all right, so before we go, last week we finished up talking about Joey Lane's uh, fanny pack. This week we're going to yes. talk about, look, college football is known for ridiculous rivalries from like toilet papering trees to, you know, decorating a, a random mascot tree out in uh, at Stanford. But this is one that I just don't understand, and we had it again this week in Columbus, where for no journalistically prudent reason at all, reporters and I guess fans to line up outside the hotel where Ohio State's team is going to be calling home throughout training camp, and we just take pictures and video of them walking into the hotel for some reason? Like, 
I don't get it. I mean, like, I totally understand we want to see what Liam McCullough is wearing. But other than that, like, why do we need 40 people there? And look, I've got friends that do it. I like I'm friends with, you know, reporters that are there. Totally understand it's part of their job. But why is it a part of their job, Alexis? <laughs> I don't know. But things got a little more exciting this year. I feel like <laughs> the guys are at least like. I don't know. They're in on the joke because they agree with how silly it is. So, I mean, even Johnny Dixon wore a shirt of McCullough wearing a shirt of himself. And I don't know. It's shirts on shirts on shirts at this point. Uh, (laughs) Sean Nurnberger had one that said, like, I love that my girlfriend lets me play Fortnite. I think it's like a big T-shirt competition this year, but McCullough wins every year. Yeah, and then we had the weird one from Drew Chrisman. I guess maybe it's a punter thing, or it's a special teams thing, because you've got McCullough, who's a long snapper. You've got uh, Nuremberg, who's a kicker. You've got Drew Chrisman, who's the punter, who has, I love my Mormon girlfriend, and has a picture of his <laughs> girlfriend. I mean, alleged girlfriend. Like, I don't know if that's his girlfriend or not, Like, but it's just like, what is what is going on? Like, I, I have no idea. It. And the fact that Drew Chrisman didn't have like him flipping a bottle on his shirt is <laughs> it's pretty a disappointing. It really is. Like if he could somehow have gotten a shirt that like was animated like a GIF or yes. something and it like just showed like that would have been next level impressive. But oh, uh, yeah. I mean, he would have won then. But until then, McCullough showed up wearing a shirt of himself, wearing a shirt of himself, wearing a shirt. Which is pretty my damn good. Hurts. Yeah, but my head hurts. And then Johnny Dixon <laughs> wearing his shirt from last year. You know. But what's funny about other than those guys that wore the specialty shirts, every other picture of players walking in, they look just like annoyed or uh, uninterested or like. Just... I mean, it's got to be so uncomfortable. It's like, I'm just I'm just going to check in my hotel, man. Like That's all. Yeah. That's all. Especially like now, because, you know, like. Probably in years past, they could joke around or say hi, but now they don't want to talk. Like, they're not talking about it. They're not not answering questions. No, but it's just like, I'm here for the shirts, I guess, but I don't know that we need a throng of 30 reporters there to document each person walking in. But Right. Like, I'm here for the shirts, you know, from my house, on my computer, (laughs) on my phone, watching other people take those pictures. And I'm okay with it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and but I will shout out uh, redshirt freshman offensive lineman Wyatt Davis. He is a native of Bellflower, California, which is a Los Angeles suburb. He showed up wearing a Los Angeles Lakers t-shirt, but understanding that he is now an Ohio State Buckeye, it's an LBJ23 Lakers t-shirt. So he still is repping his home while still getting in that plug for one of the biggest patrons of the Ohio State Athletic Dep- Department. In LeBron James. So I, I got to throw him some respect for really being able to mesh both worlds in his T-shirt selection. Not many people get to do that. So, you know, good on him for getting his opportunity. Absolutely. And I'm really disappointed. I did not see a picture of what Big Bob Landers was wearing. So um, I didn't either. A little disappointed. Oh, it would have been great if he showed up in like a Santa Claus suit handing out <laughs> gushers again. Yeah. Fruit snacks. Oh, that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. But... All right, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land. You can find all episodes of the podcast on LandGrantHolyLand.com, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your daily dose of podcast goodness. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. You can follow Alexis on those same platforms at LovelyBuckeye. And you can follow the site at LandGrant33 on Twitter and Instagram and by finding LandGrantHolyLand on Facebook. 
Folks, we have no idea what's going on with this football team right now because we're not getting told anything. But whatever happens, we still think this team is going to be fantastic once the ball is in the air. So let's focus on that, please. All right. We'll talk to you next Friday. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. <laughs>